If uh, you want to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2, that's going to be sort of where we're going to, the text we're going to work out today. And the overarching theme of, of our time this morning is how to present yourself as an approved worker to the Lord. And I might just follow that behind with, what role do I play in God's kingdom? Helping you ask that question. Or, how is it that the Lord has made me useful? And you, you know that normally I don't put notes out or these sorts of things. And so, I, I, the reason I've really given you this this morning is I actually think um, this might practically help you walk through how you're useful before the Lord. And also, uh, maybe what, what might He want to work on or speak into to make you more useful uh, uh, to his kingdom. And we're going to be working in 2 Timothy. Now, there's a strange thing about the book of 2 Timothy. It's one of those few letters that's called one of the pastoral letters. So Paul in 2 Timothy is not writing to a church. He's writing to a person. And personal letters are very, very different than corporate letters. Uh, so... The way that Paul speaks with Timothy is, it actually makes, the Timothys are some of the harder letters to preach in the church because he's talking to Timothy about the church very often. And there's, there's a rawness, rawness to it. But for today, what I want us to take note is, is it's Paul the Apostle talking to Timothy, who's a called preacher. So Paul's coaching Timothy on his role in the church. And there's some unique things about Timothy. His calling is very clear to him. His gifting is very clear to him. A lot of these things are far more obvious to him than they may be to you. And I don't want you to feel bad about it. I don't want you to feel like we should all have the sort of clarity that Timothy has. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at 2 Timothy and what Paul says to 2 Timothy and try to sort of understand what is the principle here that I could apply to my life in order to understand my calling. And so you don't have to be like Timothy. In fact, very few people are. Uh, but some of what Paul's saying is useful for all of us. So with that said, I want to start uh, in the second chapter, Second Timothy 2. And as a preamble to sort of the, the teaching that Paul's going to do for Timothy... I want to pick up in the 11th verse. And the 11th verse begins what I would think are sort of the first things of the kingdom. Okay, you're going to recognize these sorts of teachings as the heart of the Christian uh, hope. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes this. The saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So in that is, is the gospel. Right? We have life in him. We have hope in him. We must acknowledge him as Lord, and we have mercy from him. Those are sort of touched on 
on each one of those thoughts. And Paul writes this into the letter to Timothy, and then he goes, he's about to follow on and turn to helping Timothy think about uh, these verses. So I'm going to pick up in the 14th verse, and I'm just going to read verses 14 and 15. Here's what he says to this young pastor. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's his teaching to Paul, or to Timothy. To rightly handle the word of truth. To, he says... Remind them of these things. So the first things that we read from 11 through 13, those things, Paul then says, hey, Timothy, preacher, continually remind the fellowship of these things. And he, he actually goes on to, to say, and don't worry so much about the distractions. Talk about these things. Talk about these things all the time. Your job is sort of to rightly handle the word of truth before the fellowship, and if you do that, you'll be seen as a worker approved by God. That's what he's saying. And he's saying this to Timothy because Timothy's a called preacher. He's telling Timothy, since you are a preacher, teacher of the church, teach these things, Timothy. Teach them a lot. Say it correctly. And you'll serve the Lord well. And this is where your first question comes in. I want you to imagine for a second if the apostle were going to write you a letter to encourage you in ministry, encourage you in the kingdom, what gifts or talents of yours would he, would he hone in on? Would he sort of grab and encourage in you? What particular gifts or talents? Now, you don't need to write quite yet, so if you want to do some thinking, uh, that's fine, because this is what I don't want you to do. In fact, if you did this, you need to mark off one point. I don't want you to flatly just put a task you're good at, okay? I, if you wrote down, I'm good at soccer, okay? That's not, don't ever expect the apostle to write you a letter about that. It's deeper than that, okay? Uh, I want you to think, not simply what are you good at, but inside your skin, right, in here, what about you is, when it's sort of working, makes other things just work? Like, what is it that he's done about you that sort of is the gateway to feeling purpose. So I'll give you an example. Someone could say to me, I'm a good math teacher. And I'd go, okay, fine. I'm, I don't deny it. I mean, I don't, if you told me that, I don't know you're a good math teacher, but I'm saying I would accept it at face value. But I'm fairly certain that what the Lord has, the way the Lord has gifted you is, is a little deeper than that. And I'm not talking like necessarily we have to get to all the Bible gifts of the Spirit, okay? I'm not trying to get there either. 
I just want you to think, what are kinds of things are you good at? If someone said they're a good math teacher, I would say, well, what do you mean by that? Are you really, really good at math and you happen to teach it? Or are you really good at teaching and you happen to teach math? You see how you could have two of those? And what if that person said, well, I'm a good teacher? It's a teacher. That's what I really am. I'm a good teacher. I would say, well, we're closer, but we're still not there because there are so many different kinds of teachers. Probably in this room, there's many different kinds of teachers. You could have one person who says, well, when I say that I'm a good teacher, what really jazzes me about teaching is taking something that's not understood and making it understood. And I would go, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Like, God has made you a sort of person who is very good at making something difficult, understandable for other people. Whereas another really good teacher could say something like this. I find most satisfaction in teaching and walking alongside of some of these students. They come in my class in September and they're so raw and immature. And I love pouring my life out into theirs and seeing all that comes from it. And like these, these kids have names and I just, I love sharing my life with him. Well, that's a very different kind of good teacher, isn't it? One loves to teach, make something known, and the other one loves people. One's a teacher and one's a shepherd. And you could even have a third, and you could have more than this, but I'm just trying to build out the idea. You could have somebody who could say, you know, the truth is I never really grew up. I'm sort of like a big kid. I just love kids. And I like to laugh. I like uh, glue sticks and, and glitter. And you know, I sort of feel like the Lord has, in his providence, stunted my growth. Because I just have fun when I'm around kids. That's a third good teacher. Now, all of them might have said from the very beginning, I'm a good math teacher. Yet, all of those are very, very different. So that's what I want you to think of. I want you to go a little bit more deeply if the apostle were going to write you a letter and he were going to encourage you in your gift or talent, what deeper thing would it be? I'll give you a second. I'm going to find my water bottle and you're going to write. You found my water bottle. Thank you. You know, I think it's so important to gain a sense of why God made us the way we do. The moment when you begin to know this, your sense of purpose and usefulness show up to his kingdom. And that, there's so much peace that comes out of that. A sense of, ah, I understand. And it it may not be so necessarily clear. Many of us sort of have sort of generalized strengths. But still, to know, well, this is where I'm... This is what I'm good at, and that, not so much, is very helpful. And I want, you, I want you to notice, by the way, and it's clear, by the way, from other writings in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, that Timothy is a gifted preacher. And a lot of the discipling that Paul will do is through Timothy's gift, which I also find interesting is, is I, I learn best in the places of life I'm already good. I can make the most sense out of the places that I already have a decent sense of is, I just think about that. Paul, 
is shepherding Timothy about his life, but he's shepherding him through his gift. And I just find usually when we can sort of hit the ground and be of benefit to others around us, that's usually the place that we're, we have open ears to go, how can I do that better? Uh, and this is, this is what uh, Paul's doing. Okay, here's the second, second challenge for you. Let me read the next uh, several verses here. I'm going to read uh, 16 through, through 18. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So if the first question is, is what is your gift or talent? The second question is, what is the gotcha or the gap? And I'll explain these ideas a little bit more in a second. But what's the gotcha or the gap that surrounds your gift or your talent? What is the thing that's, when you, when you exercise your giftedness, or when you, the thing you do well, when you do that thing well, what's the weakness that's sort of sitting in the shadow? It's always sitting right there, um, waiting to come out. Like for, for Timothy, it's clear what it is here. Uh, Paul's coaching him, preach these first things. Preach them re- often, preach them regularly, stick with them, and don't get sidetracked. Timothy. Avoid irreverent babble. Don't follow every rabbit down its hole. Don't chase after every little heresy. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is among a group of Christians, there's always some little form of heresy kind of rearing its head, some idea that's less than healthy. And Paul's saying, listen, you don't do not do that, Timothy. You don't need to spend your whole ministry telling people what isn't true. Tell them what is true. Tell them what's true all the time. Stick with the message and don't get pulled off. Because if you do, it will contribute to more and more ungodliness. Look at 16. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. There's almost you might even have in your mind for Timothy that for him to entertain certain sort of silly notions is to give them false dignity. Give these ideas false dignity. Don't even waste your time on them. Just preach what you're supposed to preach. Preach these things and preach them often. You might say for someone like Tim, and I'm imagining a little bit here, but I don't think it's leaving the heart of the text much at all. You might say that for Timothy, his gift is... Right, he's a truth teacher. Let's just call him something like that. He's a truth teacher, someone who is about creating an, an environment and a group of people in an environment of truth. And his gotcha might be, he just can't let it go. Like, oh, I got I to gotta chase that thing down, and I got to chase that thing down, and I got to chase that. You know, a lot of times, lame ideas have their own short half-life. So let that person talk, and they'll tire themselves out. And so there might be this sense of, in his giftedness, is this corresponding weakness. And I think of this 
phrase often, maybe, maybe monthly, this phrase. When I came on staff at the church, actually, uh, my boss was Rick. Rick was my pastor. And uh, I had never done anything in the church uh, formal. No one had ever paid me to do the job right. I was, you know, I was a normal person, and then I was Rick's helper. And he said this to me at one point, and I'll never forget it. And I don't, I don't know if it's original to you, but it's original to me from you, so he always gets credit. He said, your gift is your weakness. Your gift is your weakness. And I, I have continually in my life found this to be true, that my gift, and probably yours, that right around it and related to it is also your gotcha, the thing that can take what God did so well and make it so sour. You know, for, so for someone like myself who talks for a living, I don't stop talking, right? I, I don't listen for a living uh, or as well. I mean, those are areas where I'm learning. Uh, in, for a great example of this is in pastoral counseling. Pastoral counseling is primarily a listening exercise, not a speaking exercise. That was a very difficult learning curve for me of, oh, they're not coming here to hear me talk. They're coming here to share. And maybe at some point, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to listen to them and the Holy Spirit for an hour before I say much of anything. So but that, now my weakness is, is stop talking. But for all of us, our, our gotcha is very often just lurking right around our gift. You can have people who are servant-hearted. Servants, they don't know how to say no. They serve until they're paper thin. Or they serve, and then in a passive-aggressive way, they use all of their woeful service as some sort of martyred experience, right? To sort of leverage on the other person when the time is right. Or, I mean, we could do this all day, right? People who are professionals oftentimes think they know everything about everything. It's a classic. You know, somebody who's a high-power lawyer has no problem giving me marriage advice. Because he's successful. What's your gotcha? I'm going to add to this this idea of gap. Okay, this is a slightly different thing, okay? Maybe you have a really special gift, but you have something else in your life that neutralizes it. That's not necessarily that related to it, but that just that neutralizes it. I'll give you a couple of examples. You could have the gift of teaching, but what happens if you happen to be very shy? Well, if you're really shy, you're not going to teach. And it's important for you to recognize, well, that is where the Lord's gifted me, so this I do need to work on. Like, if I am... If I am if I do help, if I know how to say things and explain things, then maybe I need to begin to navigate and challenge some of the shyness. What's going on in my life that I'm so shy? That's one example. Another example is what if you were the world's greatest servant and you loved kids, but you were unreliable about when you showed up to church? So you would say, I'm gifted with children. And everybody who knew you would say, they're the worst servant in the church. Like you would say, I'm a, I love to pour my life out. I love to help people. I just, I forget to show up sometimes. Well, 
I mean, that is, it's funny because you may, you may rightly see your gift and those around you might rightly see this massive gap that is obliterating your gift. So take a second and think, what is your gift? Or I mean your gotcha. Or what might be that gap around your life that just causes difficulty? If the apostle were writing you, what would he say? Give me a second. The third question is the hardest. And in fact, I've wrestled with, do I put this on the quiz um, at all? Because I'm not sure if this is enough time to answer it. So it's like a take-home quiz. Let's do that. So if you have some difficulty getting your your arms around this, um, don't be discouraged. I mean, I feel sort of when this question came to me, I thought, oh, that is such a good question, even for my own life. But I, I'm not acting as though I've easily answered it. But I do think it's a good question. So let's read... Uh, verse 19 and uh, then we'll ask this question. So just to recap, Paul has said to Timothy, preach, remind them of the first things. Do it often. Do your best to present yourself approved by handling the word of truth well. That's the first thing, right? That's your gift, Timothy. Do it. Secondly, don't get sidetracked. Don't get baited. Don't, don't devolve into the chatter and the ungodly babble. That can cause greater problems. Okay, and then he says this. And it's going to sound very odd. It's, you know, be, it's a discontinuity with the rest of the writing. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So there's these two things said to Timothy. Timothy, live well in your gift. Do what you were charged to do. Secondly, Timothy, don't watch out for um, the shades of of your giftedness on either side that could get you in trouble and, and make you fall into the irreverent babble and, and, and chasing these sort of things. And then, in verse 19, we find ourselves back into the first things of the kingdom again. Right? These are, these are first teachings. And he's, he seems to be quoting Scripture. He, he's, and remind us, he says, the Lord knows who are his, and that's a first thing of Scripture, that God's over all things. And then the second thing, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Why would he say that? Why, all of a sudden, hit pause on how to live and preach gospel to Timothy? And I think the answer is in the 18th verse. It's the very end of the 18th verse. So the 18th verse is talking about there's how things might spread like gangrene. And he says, in fact... There's this guy named Jaime and this guy named Philo, and I don't like to say their name, so we'll call him that, 
who they've already swerved from the truth. They're already pumping out this false teaching. And this is the end of the 18th verse. They are upsetting the faith of some. Now, I can say from a pastor's perspective, like that, that to me, if someone were writing me and telling me, it feels contradictory to me. The whole teaching is now in tension. I'm being told, just stay on track, preach the, preach the gospel, preach the first things often and well, okay? And don't, don't follow all of these things. Don't spend a lot of time on these things, okay? So that teaching's sitting there, and then the person telling me that says, oh, and by the way, those teachings are already in your fellowship, and people are walking away from the faith in your very church. Just wanted to let you know that. That would feel very disconcerting to me. What? Like, the, if Timothy has a pastor's heart, the, the sense of responsibility, like the sense of rescue responsibility, I just, I totally would anticipate this rising up. Like, you mean there's people in my fellowship who are, who are straying? I mean, I can just see, despite all that Paul said, Timothy being pulled right back in. You know, and I felt this. I've, I've felt this over... The, past 10, 12 years or so, where, you know, I, I remember the people I've baptized who've walked away from the faith. And you sit there and you ask yourself questions. Was I not a good pastor? Was it a mistake I made? You do this about all sorts of things, right? That was an easy one. I mean, marriages in your fellowship that struggle and suffer and end poorly, uh, um, people whose expectations were not met, all of these things to someone who's shepherding a flock, just the notion that there's in the flock, there's failure happening is a traumatic notion. And Paul's coming behind, Paul's saying things to Timothy, Timothy, this is your job. Preach the first things. This is not your job. You know, putting a period at the end of every little sentence and every jot and tittle of making sure every, nothing ever wrong is ever being said in the fellowship. Don't worry about that. And he's coming behind this saying, and you need to recall the first things of God. This is his job and not your job. Notice the teaching. He's reminding Timothy, right? The Lord knows who's his and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, let him depart from iniquity. It's Paul saying, Timothy, they are the ones who answer to the Lord. They are the ones who have to, to re, one day come to the Lord and answer for the things they've done. It's them. It's not you. In other words, there is this need that Paul seems to perceive that he has to come beside Timothy and preach a ta- the gospel tailored to his fear. Or the way that Timothy's made, he needs to be reminded of certain aspects of the gospel in a particular way. Because that's where sort of fear is going to strike him most. The sense of efficacy is going to strike him most. Is 
in issues like this, right, if for Timothy, I can absolutely understand and empathize with someone who's saying, I am a good pastor, and, and, or understanding whether or not I am a good pastor is judged by whether or not my people come closer to the Lord or stray from the faith. And Paul's saying, that is not your metric. And he's preaching the first things. And so this would be my question for you. If the apostle were going to write you a letter encouraging you, what first thing would he have to remind you of to preserve you in his work? Somewhere where your identity and fear meet. You know, the more and more, I guess, the longer I am in the faith, the more I'm learning that fears, when you get to the root of them, are wicked lies. They're wicked lies that have gained a foothold in my life. And I would want to say, maybe another way to get to this answer for you on question three is, is what are the lies that seem to be able to regularly whisper themselves in your life that you sort of need to drive a gospel stake down into the ground and say, every time I get to this lie, this word of God is saying, standing up with me that I can lean on. What is that? Now, that's a hard question, I think. Okay, last question. Let's look at verse 20 through 22. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So he says to Timothy, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So up to this point, he has not been talking about manner of life. He's been talking about the practice of a gift, right? Timothy, here's your gift. Preach these things often and well. Don't get distracted by the gotcha of your gift. And hold on to this sort of gospel truth and the practice of your role in your gift, and that will preserve you in ministry. That's sort of the, the, the counsel or the, or the path the, of wisdom that's come from Paul here. Verses 20 through 22 is not that anymore. He's not talking about giftedness anymore. He's talking about the manner of life how Timothy lives his life. It's a new thought. And in the, the thought, he uses this picture of this house, right? In a, in a great house, there's all sorts of things. There's items of gold and silver, and there's items of wood, clay. And I don't want you to think in your mind like somebody with a really good gift is like a gold, a gold member of the house. Yet someone else who's only got kind of like a mediocre gift is like a clay thing. Like, I don't want you to think in this particular illustration, because sometimes the Bible will do this, I don't want you to think, oh, the gold and silver are good things, but the wood and clay things are good too. You have wooden tables. 
Do you have clay pots? Everybody likes a good old clay pot. Right? This is not what Paul's doing. He's not saying there's four good things in the house, two of which are kind of glitzy and two of which are kind of plain. He's not doing that. He's saying in this house there are things that are honorable, and he's assigning them gold and silver. And there's things in this house which are dishonorable. And he's saying that's like wood and clay. But you don't want to be dishonorable. That's not the goal, right? We want to be honorable. In fact, notice that he goes on to explain that you, whatever you might say you are at the end of this sermon, if you come out and you said, I'm like a, I'm a wooden thing, okay? Paul's teaching here is, is, well, you don't have to remain that way. You can change it. Look at the verses here. 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. The picture is, in this great house, all that there is is gold and silver. <laughs> That's what you, the, the, the hope is that everything in the home would be purely set apart and refined only for honorable use. So I want to think about this for a second with you. You have, on your one hand, let's just say you have the question of giftedness and talent. What's your gift? What's your talent? And on the other hand, you have your manner of life. Gift and talent, manner of life. Which matters more to the Lord? That you tend to your gift to your talent? Or that you tend to your manner of life? I think it's manner of life. It's the opposite of what the world would say. The world cares about your gifts and your talents. They don't so much care about your manner of life. I mean, we see this everywhere we look right now. Is People want effective practitioners, talented individuals. They'll overlook a lot of manner of life. That's not how the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God says, actually, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. If you are not set apart for the Lord, you are of no use to him. You're not useful to him. You are a dishonorable vessel in the house. In fact, you might even think a highly gifted and yet highly dishonorable element in the house could be very dangerous. It could be the worst thing in the home. What we want to think about, and there's, so there's some hope in this. I find a lot of hope in this. For the first thing is, when I think about gift and talent, I don't think of how am I useful to the Lord. Actually, the better question is, is how am I uniquely useful for the Lord? How am I particularly useful to the Lord? That's all the gift and talent really, really hones us in on is sort of the sweet spot for us, where, where we do twice the good for half the effort. That's how you know someone's gifted. When they naturally do well, what you struggle to do, just, and you say to them, why do you do that? And they go, I don't know, it's just how you do it. It's, yeah. you, just ha- you ever see the people who throw the pizzas up and catch them? I have always marveled at that. Like that's food they're doing that to. Like they naturally just, whoosh, sometimes they'll throw it out in the audience and it'll land on a kid or something. I mean, they just, gifts, massive giftedness, right? They naturally do 
what I would struggle. You cannot imagine what my pizza parlor would look like. It would be so lame. But that's their giftedness. That's how they're particularly gifted. Your manner of life answers this question. Are you useful at all to the Lord? Can he use you at all? And I would say, so at some level, this might be coming as a, a challenge or a conviction because you might sit here going, like, I know I have these gifts. I know I'm, I'm, I'm good at this sort of thing. But if something's awry in your life, and I'm talking, this is manner of life issues between you and the Lord, sanctified holiness issues. And if your life is out of order, it can be very frustrating. Like, I have all these gifts, but I can't use them. And God's answer is, is, you are absolutely correct. I would not endanger my people with an out-of-sorts person bringing in a giftedness, a certain kind of gift. So in sense, one sense, maybe that's a healthy conviction to offer you. In another sense, here's the great hope is, I imagine for some of you, like writing these things down, you're like, I don't even know if I have a gift. Like question one, and not because you don't want to write, but question one's blank. And you're like, well, I know my gotchas, but I don't know my gift. And I would say, in that sense, be of great joy. Because if your manner of life, if you're following after the Lord, if you have his heart for the kingdom, you are wildly useful to him, even if just generally so. That the Lord, you see in scriptures how many times Jesus looks at somebody, like the poor woman who's offering her last coin, like looks at somebody who goes, who in Jerusalem would have seen her as amounting to anything? No one would have. He looks at her and says, model. If only they could see this woman. She's of great usefulness to the kingdom. Because the Lord ultimately looks out at the contours of your spirit. And he wants to know, like, are you scratching and clawing closer to him? Do you want to know who he is and who he's like and, and what he wants from you? And if that is the nature and the tenor of your life, then... Your giftedness, well, that'll come one day or you'll figure it out one day and that'll make you uniquely and particularly useful, but you're useful because you're his. I'm gonna pray for us and I hope you'll pray with me. This is my prayer is first that we would put those things in the right order. That more than, you know, what am I supposed to do or how did God make me unique or special, which, by the way, is sort of the language of our time is, you know, this, this continual bombardment with figuring out how particularly useful and unique you are. I'd say, that's great. But as we pray, we're going to make that bow for a second to, Lord, am I generally yours? And if I'm generally yours, then... I can trust you'll use me in general and profound ways. And then behind that, we'll, we'll invite the Lord uh, to speak to us about our talents. Lord, we come to you grateful that you've made us, that you've placed us in particular settings. And we even come to you now, Lord, each one of us with a sense that the way we have been made is is a combination of all sorts of things. Our upbringing, uh, the way we were educated, our environment, our temperaments, our nature. 
You know, Lord, who and how we were made. But we come to you now, Lord, opening ourselves up to the way we live our life before you, Lord. And I, I pray for myself and I pray for anyone here that if there's, if there's something this morning that we feel the Lord shining a light on to say, this is out of place, Lord, may we have the strength to respond to it. May we have the desire to respond to it. And may we have the confidence that a life in order before the Lord is a life that's useful for God. That you are not building this kingdom on talent. You're building this kingdom on a humble people pursuing righteousness. And so, Lord, may, may we recognize that the heavy lifting that we'll do for your kingdom is going to be in the fruits of the Spirit, it's going to be in forgiving people and saying we're sorry and not holding grudges and guarding our tongue and shepherding our own hearts and caring for and pouring our life out for those around us. Lord, those are the general things, the, the general remedial things of the kingdom that end up blossoming us into usefulness for you. And Lord, for the particular ways you've made us, give us wisdom and discernment. We pray that for us. We pray that for this search team and what their effort and, and our look, search for someone who's particular. Lord, may this person be generally suitable for your kingdom. May all of the first things be in the right order. And then we'll get the second things, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.